Well, I don't know. Personally, I'd say that there shouldn't be a divide between, you know, certified nurse midwives and any other type of midwife. I think that all of them are necessary, right? And that's part of the reason why, you know, I chose the certified nurse midwife route is because I wanted to go where the majority of the patients are going. You know, they're they're choosing the hospital system for better or for worse, you know. Yeah. Um, and and the thing is, is that, you know, lay midwives or, um, you know, independent midwives, whoever, you know, out there that's not practicing in the hospital, they're also going where patients need them. Um, just different types of patients, patients in rural areas or people in rural areas that are giving birth. Um, they don't have access to, you know, a birth center or don't have access to a hospital. So I think they're all necessary. And I don't think that there should be a divide, but there certainly is one. There certainly is a stigma, mm -hmm. um, especially, yeah. you know, for lay midwives um, that maybe haven't gotten like any formal, like formal training or medical training. Christine Loria. I'm Bliss Young. I'm Kyle Kingsbury. Hi, this is Kimberly Ann Johnson, and you're listening to the Holistic OBGYN Podcast. Welcome back to the show, everybody. It's Nathan Riley, the good doctor, the Holistic OBGYN, and this is my podcast. It's nobody else's. I get to decide every last thing about this show. And I decided I'm going to bring on a pageant queen. <laughs> Our guest today is Caitlin Schollmeyer. And yes, I'm being, I'm being facetious and I'm saying the very obvious silly thing to say, but Caitlin Schollmeyer is a former Miss United States. And uh, that's not where her story ends. She's also the mother of twins. She's also a labor and delivery nurse. She's also a doula. She's also an entrepreneur. She created a clothing line um, called Wear Lila. Lila is the, the name of the brand. And uh, they make these beautiful maternity gowns. You can actually go to Wear Lila at W-E-A-R-L-I-L-A.com. You'll save 10% on one of her beautiful gowns, which, by the way, is like such a contrast to the scratchy, uncomfortable, overly treated fabric that you can expect in a typical hospital gown. Caitlin didn't stop there. She's also a, a military vet, and she's training to become a certified nurse midwife. And we had a beautiful conversation. So I am so stoked for you to hear from her. Uh, she and I got connected, interestingly, through TikTok, uh, maybe Instagram. I think it was TikTok, though. You can follow her there at The Modern Midwife. And on Instagram, it's Caitlin Schollmeyer. You'll find her name in the uh, show description here, but it's Caitlin underscore Schollmeyer. And then lilamama.com. Um, or where Leela is uh, is the website where you can find her gowns and Dr. Riley. That code will get you ten percent off. I wonder why there's two. I wonder why there's two uh, two different links here. That's interesting. Leela, yeah, okay, two different links. Anywho, we're gonna get into that conversation. But of course, uh, we do have some official sponsors of the show: Fullwell Fertility. They make uh, some great prenatal vitamins, great virility vitamins. All of my fertility clients get um, their whole lineup, including their fish oil and their nourish nerves. But they just launched a new product. It's their fertility booster. It helps to improve the quality of your egg and sperm. 
um, one of the big issues that we're seeing in the fertility space, I mean, there's plenty of issues. Like the REIs, the OBGYNs, like, no, have zero fucking clue about anything related to getting pregnant naturally. I mean, they're not even teaching people fertility awareness methods, let alone looking upstream for the cause. But one of the big issues that we find is that even if you do have enough sperm, many men don't. Even if you have modal sperm, many men don't. You might also have um, a bunch of DNA inside those sperm that's fragmented due to the production of radical um, free radicals, reactive oxygen species. This can cause an oxidative stress-like um, scenario in which the DNA becomes fragmented. So you might get conception, but there's like missing pages or chapters in the blueprint. So the body miscarries. This is a typical kind of pattern for the types of clients that come my way. Um, this product will also help with detoxification at the level of the liver. And it's not just for men with, with uh, you know, sperm. <laughs> it's also for women with eggs. So uh, I think this is a necessary addition if you are struggling to conceive or if you just want to <laughs> be healthier. I mean, how about that? Fertility is definitely a vital sign for both men and women. So go to fullwellfertility.com and you will find, uh, you'll find it there. Get some of their prenatals, get some of their, uh, for their virility vitamins, and use code BELOVED10, and you'll save yourself 10% in the process. Next up is BirthFit. You've probably heard me talk about BirthFit. I adore Lindsay Cantu and what she has put together at BirthFit. I just did their BirthFit coaching certification program. Man, there are very, very few pregnancy and postpartum-specific lifestyle programs out there. They will teach you. If you find a BirthFit um, uh, practitioner, specialist, I think they call them BirthFit leaders, and then you can become a BirthFit... Ooh, certified practitioner, something like that. But these, they're going to be guiding you through, you know, a lifestyle program. You know, this isn't like your everyday trip to Bally's or Planet Fitness or wherever the hell people go to work out nowadays. These, even a CrossFit gym, most trainers are just not qualified or even interested in understanding how different women are compared to men, especially women who are pregnant or in the, in the postpartum period. So you're going to get nervous system supported general strength and conditioning. They will teach you human movement foundations, core and pelvic floor basics. This is a comprehensive prenatal training program. I have learned so much from Lindsay and her team over there. Shout out to Kat, shout out to Leah. I mean, you guys put on an amazing program. I think that um, every person, if they're hoping to conceive in the future, should join BirthFit's um, monthly membership community. It's called their B community. And with code BELOVED, you'll get one month free access. And if you actually are pregnant or you just had a baby and you want to try out their postpartum course, it's an app that goes right on your phone. It starts with a lying in period where you're just breathing and just gradually getting your movement back. There is no badge of honor for going and ripping out a Fran or Murph or something, you know, one week into your postpartum period. Like, good on you but that's probably not the healthiest way to be recovering postpartum. Um, in their postpartum basics program, you're gonna get day to day, you're gonna get the, the workout for you based on how you're feeling, based on where you're at, what type of birth you had. It's amazing. You can, all, you can get 20% off of their course, their postpartum basics course, using code BELOVED. Um, I suggest you do both. Get 20% off their course and join their B community for one month free. Use code BELOVED. It's everything. Everything's there at birthfit.com. Lindsay um, Cantu has been on the podcast. She's coming to speak to my Born Free Method group um, at one of our upcoming weekly calls. I um, can't recommend these guys enough. And I'm so stoked that they're a sponsor of the show. Um, this uh, this uh, interview was also supported by Immune Intel HCC. So listen, there is a path that you end up jumping on. If you go to your gynecologist and get pap smears, let's say that you get an abnormal pap smear or HPV is positive, right? This is the virus that's thought to be 
um, will, that will eventually lead to cervical cancer if you're not healthy enough in order to integrate the message of this virus, human papillomavirus. What happens is you end up going back and forth to your, your OBGYN, getting biopsies, getting leap procedures, getting multiple screen after screen after screen. And then eventually, if the HPV doesn't go away, they just keep lopping off ch chunks of your cervix, and you ultimately end up with a radical hysterectomy or cervical cancer and die. It is an unhap un a very, very unfriendly process. The issue is that with all of those back and forths, this cancer develops very, very easily or very, very slowly. With all those back and forths, who the hell is talking about actually supporting your immune system and supporting your health? Well, fortunately, my friend Mimi Linquist and her partner Chase Ramey over at um, The Medicine Podcast, which is, by the way, one of my favorite podcasts, they created a product called Immune Intel HCC. HCC stands for Active Exos Correlated Compound, and it's a cultured, patented, functional food made from the mycelia of shiitake mushrooms. This product, guys, has been clinically demonstrated to help you clear persistent HPV. Need I say more? <laughs> but it does this by upregulating your immune surveillance. You get a boost in your NK cells, your T cells. These are the cells that actually keep you cancer-free. It bumps them up by up to 300%. And it, it, it improves the communication between those cells. When your immune system is working better, you have a better regulation of your stress um, hormones. You get decreased systemic inflammation. And this can be demonstrated by lower CRP in the blood. There are numerous in vivo, meaning with human beings, trials that have demonstrated this, but it's not even just that. Let's say you're not concerned about HPV. You don't have HPV. You're not worried about it. They have demonstrated that this is helpful for all sorts of immune dysregulate uh, issues that arise from a di immune dysregulation, Lyme disease, autoimmune conditions. We've mentioned cancer, cervical cancer, but other cancers, acne, skin conditions, herpes. The list goes on and on and on. Check out my interview with the founders on this very podcast if you want to know more. Otherwise, if you're ready to start, I take a bottle of this and, and, um, and go through a bottle every quarter just to keep my immune system balanced out, and I'm under a lot of stress. So why wouldn't I be taking this all the time? Go to themedicine.com slash products. That's T-H-E-M-E-D-I-C-I-N dot com slash products, and you'll save 10% on your purchase if you use code BELOVED. Go check it out, guys. All right, next up is Organifi. Organifi makes uh, some of the cleanest products in the world. I love their green juice, I love their red juice, and I love their gold latte. And if you go to Organifi.com slash beloved, you're going to see there's a sunrise to sunset kit, which includes a canister of green, red, and gold. The gold is, at, is great for at, at night. Some turmeric, lemon balm, some calming herbs. It just helps you ease into sleep. But for a limited time, there's a bonus here. They're throwing in 30 ser uh, single-serving packets of their, um, their Pure. And their Pure is beautiful. This Pure product um, will help with cognition. It helps with memory. It is uh, mental clarity. It's just, it's just an excellent all-around product. I carry it with me when I travel. In fact, we're in Mexico right now, and I've got some sitting with an eye shot, ear shot, eye shot, whatever. You know what I mean? It's sitting right over there on the table. So go to Organifi.com slash beloved. You'll save 20% on your purchase. Um, I can't recommend these guys enough. Drew Canoli's my man. He has just put his heart and soul into this. They're, all of their ingredients are USDA organic. They're gluten-free. They're glyphosate-free. They're non-GMO. You name it. They've thought about it. Go to Organifi.com slash beloved. You'll save 20% on your purchase of their Sunrise to Sunset Kit. Get your nutrition back on board. Like, If not now, then when, right? If not you, then who? <laughs> All right, last but not least, by optimizers. I just had a client come to me today who uh, we did a stool analysis. And on their stool analysis, they had a decrease, meaning roughly below 500, in their pancreatic elastase. That is a, an exocrine function of the pancreas. Or it's a, let's say, a, a surrogate 
a reflection of the exocrine function of the pancreas. The pancreas pumps out all sorts of juices that help to predominantly digest proteins and fats. So if you have loose stools, if you have fatty stools, meaning it's like floating on the water, if you have any sort of indigestion at all, you probably have nutrient deficiencies because you're not digesting your food and therefore you can't absorb your food from the intestines. Remember when you eat, you don't feed your body, you feed your microbiome. So Bioptimizers makes a great product that I put this client on. It's called Masszymes, which does provide a lot of lipases and, and proteinases, uh, which are just a collection of proteins, or you could call them enzymes. They are proteins, but they function as enzymes to break down these different um, compounds within your food. I love it. I have it every time we have a very big, rich meal. I sometimes will add some HCL breakthrough to add a little bit of extra acid to the food as well in order to further digest the food before it even gets to the intestines. If you want to try out anything by, by Bioptimizers, you've heard me talk about them for months, years now. Go to bioptimizers.com slash holistic OBGYN or just use code BELOVED and you'll save yourself 10% on your purchase. All right. The Renaissance woman herself, Caitlin Schulmeyer, is in the house. She is a pageant queen. She is a mother of twins. She is a labor and delivery nurse in training to become a certified nurse midwife. She is a doula. She's a, a war vet. I mean, this woman, I don't know what she can't do. She's also an entrepreneur. Um, she's, she founded this beautiful maternity gown company. So without further ado, here is the Renaissance woman, Caitlin Schulmeyer, here on the Holistic OBGYN podcast. Welcome. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, I've never had somebody like you on the podcast because you have quite a breadth of knowledge around birth. Uh, you're a doula. You were you were a labor and delivery nurse. Are you still a labor and delivery nurse? And you're training now to become a midwife? I'm not, I'm not working as a labor and delivery nurse, um, but I am still a nurse and I've been training to become a certified nurse midwife. Yeah. Right on. Um, so in addition to being a very invested, not only in your through education, but also like your kind of career path, your calling, being in birth work, you have this incredible resume of other things. So you were in the Air Force and you were a medic in the Air Force. And then, um, of course, you know, fast forward and you're in, you're in nursing, you're going to be attending births, you've got a great um, uh, TikTok and social media presence. You're, you're kind of critical of the system at times in ways that I, I certainly align with. But then you also had this period of your life where you were in beauty pageants and you're Miss United States, which is uh, from 2020. Is that right? Yeah, Mrs. United States. 2020. Oh, Mrs. United States. Okay. So you've got the beauty and the brains. I'm sure you get a lot of shit for that. So let's start there. Let's just get that one out of the way because um, <laughs> I'm sure a lot of people are just going to be wondering. I, I think people think that being in pageants is like a career path in and of itself, but you certainly are just adding another feather to your cap. So tell me a little bit about what that process was like and do you get a lot of shit because you are also so professionally invested and have all these other credentials and degrees? Yeah, I feel like especially if you're on social media or on TikTok and have any sort of following, you kind of get shit for everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> so of course yeah, I have. Me too. Absolutely. Yeah, you you would know. I know. Um, yeah. Anything you say, but um, I have gotten shit, especially because, you know, on TikTok, I have, um, you know, a lot of feminist perspectives. I'm a feminist. And so people ask, well, how can you be a part of beauty pageants? Because it's such a, an anti-feminist sort of thing you know, getting up on stage and walking around in a swimsuit and having people judge your beauty. But 
Um, I don't know. I've never seen it that way. I really looked at beauty pageants as a way of sort of like self, like personal development um, and kind of learning more about myself. Because when you go through a beauty pageant, you have to understand all the thoughts in your head and be able to articulate them really well. Um, so it helps you grow as a person. But also, I think that, you know, women should be able to do whatever they want. And I like doing it. You know, I think yeah. it's fun. And for that reason, I think it's very feminist to yeah, right. go out and do a beauty pageant because we're more than just one thing. You know, sure. you can't just, not everybody wants to just be a credential. They can be a little bit more than that. I think if somebody offered me like a contract to be, to pose nude or something, and you know, I've, I've, I, I've worked very hard also on my f like physique over the years. I've gone through periods of not being able to take as great of care of myself, but I've always managed to you know, to, to really kind of find time, even with two little girls of my own, just to find time to work out. If somebody was like, hey, it's amazing that you have abs and like you've got some back muscles and you've got all these other credentials, I'd be like, thank you. Like, that's great. <laughs> that, that's that's thank you for acknowledging all this hard work. And um, so not that that's the same as your as your trajectory, but I just it, it is interesting that people who claim to be feminist will continue to try to tell a woman what feminism is and what it means to be a woman and and how they should be, you know, um, uh, not articulate, not even just articulating their life, but also like what is your your presence online as if there's some sort of like neat box as to what it, you know, what a strong, powerful woman should or or could do. So I think that's actually really interesting. Yeah, and I think that that's kind of the whole goal of as a feminist, like challenging those expectations, right? So, you know, you can't, you don't have to be just one thing, one flavor. When you were in, um, so explain to me real quickly. So there's, there's Miss, there, God, there's so many different major pageants, Mrs. U Mrs. United States. How does that differentiate, differ from like, what is it, the uh, Miss America? Is that the one, the big one, like Donald Trump was involved so, with and stuff? Yeah, there's there's a few big ones. So there's Miss Miss USA, which is the one that goes on to become Miss Universe. And then there's Miss America. They go on to Miss World. Um, Miss United States, that pageant system that I was in, was actually the one that was featured in Miss Congeniality. I don't oh, know if you remember yeah, I do remember that with uh, Sandra Bullock, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh so God. those are kind of the big three. Um, but the Miss United States pageant, the reason I wanted to go for that one is because I was, you know, I'm, I'm married and it was the only one or was the best one, I think, for married women. It was the first married woman's pageant. So I was like, I want to I want to do that one. <laughs> Where Did you find yourself uh, amongst a bunch of other very accomplished <clears throat> and very articulate and just really like invested, powerful women? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 everybody there especially the married women yeah. the married women i mean they've had they have a lot of experience under their belt you know with whatever it is they've cho chosen to devote their life to yeah absolutely well that's cool i, I don't want to belabor you know that part of your life but i do think it is really really um it's just nice to have met somebody so i can actually ask about some of this stuff um my wife when she was very very young you know she was into modeling and and whatnot and I think we all just develop these these sort of um, I don't know it's their their judge it's just straight up judgment and prejudice maybe around people that are just really beautiful <laughs> and um, but but you've also taken things quite far I think in your own personal life tell me about your experience as a medic with the uh, the Air Force. Um, it was great. You know, the military life is obviously very <laughs> different than, you know, my life as a beauty queen or whatever else. But um, I gained a lot of really great experience. It's really where I found midwifery. 
you know, I was 18 years old when I joined the military and I didn't know what a midwife was. And that's when I met a midwife. You know, there's a lot of midwives that are in the military, they're service members. Um, And I had a mentor that just, I mean, I just love the way that she talked to her patients, the way that she cared for them, the way, um, like just her empathy, you could just feel it. Um, And it took me about six months of working with her. And I was like, that's what I want to do. Wow, no kidding. So were you, uh, did you work as a midwife before becoming an RN or was it the other way around? You got your RN and then pursued this path? Yeah. So I became a nurse first. You know, I, I was a, a tech in the military, a medic, and then I became a nurse. And then I um, worked as a doula for two years while I went through school. And now um, I'm about six months or so away from graduating a little bit more than that. I'm graduating in December uh, of my midwifery program. And you're going to be a certified nurse midwife, correct? That's uh, yes. that's what the plan is. Is that a master's or it's? I know it's a graduate level degree, but I know some programs are even doctorate level. Which what, which one is it that you're going to finish with? It's a master's. A master's it's a master's, master's level. So there's all this tension out there. I didn't prepare you for this question, but there's a lot of tension out there between the various types of midwives. We have certified professional midwives. We have licensed midwives. We have direct entry midwives, which kind of encompasses a couple type, but they generally practice outside of the hospital. Um, we've got radical midwives, independent midwives. We've we've got um, what used to be called lay midwives, and now that's kind of there's a little bit of that in a variety of these. So, as a certified nurse midwife, a lot of midwives out there would be you know sticking their noses up because you're a part of the system. You don't represent the radical revolution that we're you know that we're we're bringing in. What do you say to them with regards to how you are uh, how you sort of found yourself in this training program? Well, I don't know. Personally, I'd say that there shouldn't be a divide between, you know, certified nurse midwives and any other type of midwife. I think that all of them are necessary, right? And that's part of the reason why, you know, I chose the certified nurse midwife route is because I wanted to go where the majority of the patients are going. You know, they're they're choosing the hospital system for better or for worse, you know. Yeah. Um, and and the thing is is that, you know, lay midwives are um you know, independent midwives, whoever, you know, out there that's not practicing in the hospital, they're also going where patients need them. Um, just different types of patients, patients in rural areas or people in rural areas that are giving birth, um, that don't have access to, you know, a birth center or don't have access to a hospital. So I think they're all necessary. And I don't think that there should be a divide, but there certainly is one. There certainly is a stigma, mm-hmm. um, yeah. especially, you know, for lay midwives um, that maybe haven't gotten like any formal, like formal training or medical training. I feel that for sure. I know that a lot of CNMs, certified nurse midwife for those listening, a CNM um, attending a birth, I think it, I, this last statistic I think I, I read was somewhere between 95 and 90% of births attended by certified nurse midwives are in the hospital. Are you planning to to practice exclusively in the hospital or maybe venture out uh, as you did when you were a doula? Maybe. I don't know. Did you oh. attend home births as a doula? <laughs> what was that? Did you attend home births as a doula? Yes. Yeah, I did. Mm. Um, so it, my answer to this question would have been different if you had asked me six months ago. Um, but I actually listened to a podcast and it kind of shifted my perspective a little bit. You know, originally my intention was always to work in the hospital. Um, and then when I worked as a doula, I realized that I love home birth and I love birth center. Um, and that's kind of my dream is to one day either own a birth center or um, at least work in one that I really like. 
that has like the same values that I have. Um, but more recently, I've kind of thought a little bit more about, you know, what my whole goal of being a midwife and taking care of women, um, kind of what brought me to this profession in the first place was, you know, meeting women where they're at and yeah. giving them what they need and not really serving my own interests. <laughs> so as much as working in a birth center in a home birth would be, you know, my dream job, um, and I would really enjoy it. So many of the people that I think need the kind of advocacy that I'm looking to give are going to be giving birth in the hospital. So for the majority of my career, that's what I anticipate um, is for me to be working there. I think one day maybe I'll reward myself and <laughs> start that birth center and move out of there and maybe uh, do that as I get old and gray. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you you and I are actually the same. We just, just realized this, guys, before we started recording, but Caitlin lives in Nashville. Is it okay that I say that? Sorry, I shouldn't. Maybe yeah, I shouldn't no, that's that. fine. Um, <clears throat> not going to give your street name or anything. I live in Louisville. So we're about, <laughs> what is that? Three hours, two and a half hours, something like that, depending on how fast you drive down 65. But uh, we're in the same part of the country. Maybe we'll open a birth center someday together. I don't know. <laughs> That'd be great. Don't tempt me. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's many, many midwives in our area that have reached out wanting to do the same thing. I'd like to incorporate death as well because I'm also a hospice doctor. So we have birth and death on the same piece of like, a, you know, a farm acreage, you know, of a farm and be able to do both of these incredible rites of passage in the same place. But I keep saying I'm going to do it. And it's just more projects keep piling up and it, it keeps getting shifted. So when the time is right, the universe will bring all of us together and we'll, we'll create this dreamy new center for people to give birth. Um, You've, you've, uh, there's been a, I'm reading between the lines and what you're saying, the type of advocacy, you know, women that need the type of advocacy that, that you can provide. What do you think actually, you, 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 before we started recording, you kind of clarified that you went through this. I don't want to make it look hierarchical in any way, but you have seen birth from so many different, uh, pers you have so many different perspectives throughout your experience. How does that, you know, collective experience make you, uh, so unique as an advocate? Because we haven't even talked about your own pregnancy, so you can also you can also start by talking about that if that was a part of it. Well, it all was it all was a part of it. Mm -hmm. um, I think the biggest shift for me was you know I worked as a, a nurse, and my perspective and who I was back then is very different than who I am now, and my philosophy and my approach towards patients is completely different now. Was that a labor and delivery um, nurse, Caitlin? What was that? It was a you were a labor and delivery nurse. Yeah, gotcha. yeah, I was, and so. Um, when I worked in that um, capacity, I like in the interest of self-reflection and transparency, I was pretty judgmental. You know, I, I don't think I was, um, you know, it was on the forefront of my mind, you know, but in the back of my mind, I judged people for, you know, coming in at eight, nine centimeters dilated and not getting an epidural. Why not? Why wouldn't you, you know, get an epidural, you know, modern medicine, sure, like sure. I just didn't understand it. I was also very young and I wasn't, um, you know, educated on really all the different reasons why people make the choices that they do. Um, and so I left nursing to go to school to become a midwife and wanted to maintain those skills, became a doula in the interest of maintaining those skills. And I wanted to be one of the good ones because of course, you know, you work as a nurse for long enough, you'll get in, you know, sort of a distaste for yeah. doulas. Um, yeah. It kind of just rubs off. I mean, it's, toxic you know we we hate doulas in the nursing field not everybody of course a lot of well, well the doulas, doctors but... are, are with you though like everybody's in the in the break room or whatever just you bitching and moaning about x y or z 
And then when you're actually yes. on the other side of that, you're like, oh man, they're probably talking about us like that. I had, went through that exact same thing in our first birth, which was in the hospital, <laughs> but it's like, gee, that's not nice. The culture of the labor and delivery units. I mean, it is a high acuity unit. People are, are under a lot of stress. It's long hours. There's oftentimes not a lot of mutual respect between maybe the doctors and the nurses and the other staff. I mean, it's just, it's a hard place to work. So I always try to be as compassionate as I can, but you're but you're right. There is a bit of a toxicity there around non-hospital-based birth attendants, doulas, you know, childbirth educators. It's just, it's a there's a there's this oh, yeah. um, there's this othering that takes place. So yeah. you've been on both sides of that. So, anyways, continue. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely like an us versus them, and and that's going to wear on you. And so I left thinking I'm going to be one of the good ones. I'm going to go into the birth doula community and I'm going to change it for the better. And I'm going to be one of the good ones. And turns out like the birth doula community changed me. (laughs) I realized that the vast majority of doulas were very intelligent, grounded individuals that really were just, they just cared and they were very passionate. Many of them were, were people who had given birth in the hospital. I mean, they were my prior patients, hypothetically, you know, they were people that had gone into the hospital, had their babies, were harmed by the medical system and went out and wanted to change that circumstance for other people. Um, And I just realized how much I was wrong, not only about doulas, but also by like what kind of turns a doula into, you know, the, the kind of person who like sort of gets in between their patient or the patient and the provider and stuff. It, you know, it wasn't what I thought it was, you know, you go out and you see how different all the different hospitals are. You live in this bubble when you're, you know, as a nurse, you you think that all of the hospitals are doing the same things that you're doing, you know, and then you you get out as a doula and you see all these different hospitals. They all have different cultures. You start to see things from your patient's perspective, from like the client's perspective, you know, how they're being talked to, how they're not being listened to, things that are happening to, you know, your client that they don't even know about. You know, you see, you know, providers trying to, you know, rip their perineum or, you know, cut episiotomies without telling them or break their bag of water without telling them. And as the patient, you would never know. And as the nurse, you're focused on other things, but from the doula perspective, that's all you're you're there to do is to support. Yeah. What was that? You're seeing everything. Like you are, that is almost like you're, well, we'll talk about what a doula is because I'd love to hear you maybe clarify for those out there who don't know, but but you know the doula being the ultimate advocate advocate and support person they have no other job but to be very very focused on what is happening in that moment so yes. and um, you're connecting with the person from the beginning often has the beginning of the pregnancy all the way through their birth you're there with them in their home before they go into the hospital you don't get to see all of that as a nurse and and then you care about them in, in a way that you can't really connect with your patients as a nurse And so when you see these things happening to them, you get really fired up about that. And then the way that you're treated as a doula, I was a nurse and I had, you know, respect that I commanded respect from my colleagues, from the doctors that I worked with and all that. I had good relationships with all of them. And then I start working as a doula and it's like you're invisible and nobody wants you there. And anything you have to say is like, you know, a problem. It's just, it's totally different experience. And I just realized I'm like, yeah, I, I see what's happening now with a clear, with a clear perspective. Yeah. Hey 
guys, if you're listening, um, because perhaps you resonated in some way with Caitlin's um, story around her birth, around her work as a doula, around her thoughtfulness as to whether or not she wants to be a, an out-of-hospital birth attendant, you're probably going to love what we've what we've been doing over at Born Free Method. So we just launched this program back in May on May 1st. Um, Sarah Rosser, who's one of the farm midwives in Summertown, Tennessee, yes, I am legacy. Um, she and I got together and decided we need to build a course because too many people are coming us to, our, uh, to us for care and we can't serve everybody in the world. We had people, I had people like in Italy wanting me to come to attend their birth. And I'm like, yeah, if you pay for everything and, and pay me a, a stipend on top of that, like maybe I can make that work. You have to bring my whole family out there. It's like, that's not reasonable. So why don't you take this course? It's going to tell you everything. It's going to start with radical responsibility, get into informed consent, bioethics, COVID, vaccines, Rogam, vitamin K, GBS, antibiotics, C-section, history of C-section. I mean, literally every intervention under the sun. We also then have several units on lifestyle modification to prevent some of the common pregnancy complications like gestational diabetes and preeclampsia. Why on earth is nobody talking about this? I mean, it's just absurd to me. So we put it in the course. And then we were like, well, gosh, we have to bring in um, some additional units for connecting to the baby, for the history of obstetrics and midwifery. We need to add some other units for the dads, for psychedelics use in pregnancy and postpartum, for cannabis use in pregnancy and postpartum. Basically everything that we'd been asked, I mean, and I have, I've just glossed over just a couple themes. We were like, we got to throw it into the course. So this is our magnum opus. It includes, uh, well, when you purchase, you get lifetime access. You'll start with the next upcoming first of the month cohort. You get lifetime access. There's over 90 video modules already, over 250 citations. Most courses are not created by experienced professionals who've been to collectively thousands of births. Um, most are produced by like you know epidemiologists, statisticians who see birth as a medical procedure and as something that we can just argue our way through with data. And then on the other hand, courses that don't even look at the data and they're like, we don't believe in that. Well, this isn't magical thinking. This is a real person going through this process. And whether you're a pregnant couple, soon to be pregnant couple, or you are a, 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 a birth worker, maybe now or in the future, this course is for you. In addition to everything I've already described, you're also going to get 12 months of weekly calls with me and Sarah Rosser. Um, there is absolutely nothing out there like this. If you want to be part of the revolution, if you really, really are ready to change maternity care, then stop talking, stop making TikToks, and let's get to fucking work. Go to bornfreemethod.com, and we'll see you on an enrollment call. All right, let's get back down to my conversation with Kate Schulmeyer. Yeah, it's, it's funny. I, I actually, I was kind of <laughs> saved in some way by doulas. You know, by the way, when you said that, it reminded me of those like bumper stickers people have when they adopted a dog and they're like, who saved who, you know? <laughs> 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 I just see those all the time here in Louisville. Um, so the, uh, when I remember working um, with doulas, it was sort of like, okay, I'm the young resident. You know, I trained out in LA. This was years ago, but when they had a doula there, it was an opportunity to get to know this person, this couple in such intimate ways that I could never understand because they are coming into me, they're in labor. If you take the doula aside 
It is your opportunity to get to understand this person's story, their values, the obstacles that they've faced, and what their hopes and, and, and expectations maybe are for this this experience that they're about to go through, which is far more, in my in my view, far more than a medical procedure, as it is a um, a really, really incredibly important uh, transformative you know experience. So. The doula comes in, and if you get to know the doulas, like the family also loves you. So it wasn't completely selflessly, but once I understood, okay, there's a history of some trauma here, or you know, they this this is an IVF pregnancy after five miscarriages, or you know, whatever else, it really helps you show up in service to them, not coming in with your little captain hat saying, hey, here's how things, how things are going to go, which is immediately, as you know, an immediate way to just erode whatever trust you may have had. Um, had already kind of built with them. Um, so doulas play a big role. It's funny that if hospitals realized the what the role that doulas play in the community, their doulas are kind of like the ultimate PR reps for better or for worse for the hospital because they're out there saying, hey, this hospital really feels good. This hospital feels <laughs> very sterile. So um, so any CEOs of, of hospitals out there, directors of nursing or whatever, just listen up. Um, what is a doula? Um, I've had a couple doulas on the show, but I think it bears repeating. Um, what is the role of a doula? Well, doula is a you know non medical support person, and it's vague because it's supposed to be vague. They do everything that could be involved in support. You know, they support clients by you know providing education um, and information about their options. They support them by picking up the phone if their you know clients emotionally you know struggling with something during their pregnancy. Um, they answer questions, they show up for them in their labor and provide physical support, you know, hands-on support, rubbing their back or pushing on their hips, um, just everything to kind of get them through pregnancy and birth and then beyond as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think that sums it up really, really nicely. And doulas, especially in communities that are relatively underserved, who maybe don't have very easy access um, to not just healthcare services, but, you know, a, a sort of respectful conversation throughout their pregnancy, specifically black women in, you know, inner city communities, doulas are playing a very, very pivotal role in advocating for them and helping them navigate the system that has historically not done a great job of making them feel very welcome or comfortable, um, or even safe for that matter. So, um, so yeah, so you come to this as a medic, as a, as a tech, you know, in the, in the air force, as a doula, as a labor and delivery nurse, and now you're training to become a certified nurse midwife, you might be balancing out your practice between hospital, home, birth center, whatever, but the world is kind of your oyster. You're an advanced practi practitioner at this point. Um, and despite sort of being a product of the system, as we as we say, as, as am I, I mean, I am heavily invested. I have given them so much money that I don't know if I'll ever be able to pay it off. Um, it's hard to then kind of straddle this line of advocate and kind of, um, I don't like the word truth teller, but sort of just helping, just remaining curious, I suppose, you know, like I remember you did a video recently about, um, glucola, you know, or, or screening for gestational diabetes or, you know, any of the other advocacy pieces that you've put out on TikTok or social media, we tend to get a lot of shit when people who are within the system are speaking in a way that may not be in alignment with the practice du jour of somebody working in the system. So I'm not going to ask you the vague question of like, how do you navigate that? 
What I will ask you is, how long do you think you're going to last in the system doing the things that are expected of the culture of whatever practice it is that you join before you know you either you know butt heads with the wrong person or just decide to hell with this i'm gonna have to do this on my own in my own way whatever that means oh man isn't that the question (laughs) (laughs) that has plagued me for the past like year and a half as i have learned more about what it's going to mean to be a part of the system Mm. i have not been able to answer that question for myself because i do wonder i mean i wonder if even getting a job, people will see my critical posts on TikTok and not want to hire me. Um, I don't think that'll be the case. But even so, when I get into the system, yeah, it's like there there are a lot of things that I'm not going to drive with. And I guess what I plan to do is for as long as I can, you know, kind of play the game a little bit. And that's kind of going back to what I said before, right? Like, meeting the patients and the, and the people where they are, right? And and going to the hospital where you know that they're giving birth because these are the places where, you know, they need you the most kind of thing. It's also in those systems where you need the most change, right? Mm. We need to see it completely evolve from where it is right now. So I think part of that is playing the game a little bit, you know, yeah. and biting Thank your God tongue, you. but that's hard. <laughs> It's hard to do. It's hard to imagine doing that because morally and ethically speaking, you know, biting my tongue might involve making decisions and acting in a way that's not in line with my principles and my like core values and the sure. reason that I'm, you know, became a midwife in the first place. God, I mean, you're speaking right to my heart. I imagine just how, um, like, not that you're not my therapist, but imagine. <laughs> going through from the age of 18 or whatever saying i want to be a pre-med student and then you go and through and then you take a test and you get into med school and you take a bunch of other tests and then you get into residency somehow out in la and immediately you're like oh my god i just this is not what i signed up for and then you get to the end you're like okay i can do whatever i want but you're looking you're looking back at, at this institutionalized educational program and realizing just how broken you feel and maybe out of touch with the with the real reality of what we're here to do in, in honoring this rite of passage. Um, I eventually had to be fired and, uh, it wasn't for any, it was something COVID related, you know, believe it or not, but I eventually had to be fired for that nudge to happen for me to step away because it is like, Oh, I want to be in this system. I want to change this. And maybe I've just become a little bit more cynical now, but it just seems like this, this Goliath that is just not going, it's like turning a, um, like a, uh, an, an aircraft carrier around in the water, you know, it's like, it just seems to take forever to even get it to go a couple degrees. And then some new study, like the arrive trial came out when I was finishing residency and it suddenly changed everybody's practice again. And now I'm it's just like one fire pops up every time you put one out or a couple of fires, you know, pop up. So I'm glad that there are people on the, on the inside that are trying to change it. I'm kind of building, I sort of see myself as building a life raft because I don't, I'm not as optimistic maybe that we can change it. Um, do you have other, other colleagues that are able to, you know, you're able to lean into a little bit that are just as optimistic or am I, am I poking a bear here? <laughs> not really. You know, I don't really have, um, I don't really have people that I, um, that I, I think know their deepest sort of feelings and thoughts on the matter um, yet, you know, I'm kind of just starting out. Um, I'm sure that there are people that, you know, I'm surrounded by that kind of would share a lot of the same feelings and all that, but I'm, I'm not really sure yet. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's like these key mentors pop up in our life. And I remember going to home birth. I had never, I had no idea that home birth was even an option. You know, it was that toxicity we were talking about. I just got this idea that midwives are not, you know, as good as OBGYNs. Home birth is definitely not safe or whatever else. But in LA, I was out in LA doing my residency. It seemed like more and more women were finding doctors and midwives to care for them outside of the hospital. And it occurred to me, that like these are not dumb people. These are not uneducated or like they just want to go and throw caution to the wind. They're choosing this deliberately. This is their informed decision. And so I started asking, what is it about this environment that is uh, that is sort of ushering in this new interest in home birth? And the answer that came to me was kind of rocky. It was like, oh, because we're actually not, people are not feeling as safe as we've been advertising, you know. Um, in the hospital system. So there's always this back and forth. And then, of course, you have something catastrophic happening. You're like, well, that's the reason we have the system. And then the last home birth I attended was like 20 minutes of labor, and I didn't even make it there. The baby came out like on their floor. And I was like, everything is totally fine. So it's like this contrast between what you're what you learn in your training versus what you you end up actually ultimately experiencing in real life. And that is the the age old dilemma. Like you're the rest of your career, you're balancing out this this tension, this conflict within you. Um, I think, if I had to guess, I think you're going to end up working outside of the hospital. I'm just going to throw it out there. <laughs> <laughs> you don't think I can play the game? <laughs> I might be able to play the game for a little bit. <laughs> I am I am one of the most the greatest social engineers that I've ever met, and I have I I lost the game real fast. <laughs> <laughs> I used to actually carry around this, this, uh, this is like a briefcase sort of thing. Now it has like tax documents and whatnot, but I used to carry it around in residency and I would have all of the papers that justified my unwillingness to intervene in natural childbirth around with me because I didn't want to wake up and go and do the things like the Q4 hour cervical checks and all of that. And I was like, why are we doing this? Like this person is just in early labor. Why did we even place an epidural? Why did we get, why did we induce at all? And I started carrying around all these papers to help me sort of um, feel better about having pushed back so much. But eventually that pushing back got me booted from the game. So here we are. Or I mean, I did choose to leave OBGYN practice in the hospital. But um, but anyways, um, you know, then you also, we also have two babies. The first was in the hospital. The second was at home. Um, I, I'm really curious about your experience just to sort of round off this conversation. Um, you've got natural twins and I'm curious as to how, maybe you could just walk us through what, what birth was like for you after seeing birth from so many different lenses. And then maybe how does that inform how you care for women now and their partners, their whole, the whole family? Yeah. You know, my experience having my twins was um, very different than what I want, what I expected, what I wanted. You know, I obviously wanted, you know, this beautiful, like vaginal birth experience that, you know, uh, I was going to go unmedicated and all of that. And it ended up being that, you know, I had this vasoprevia, had these twins. No I actually um, didn't find out about the vasoprevia until later on. So I had gone, I'd gone all over the Bay Area looking for different doctors that were going to support me because at first, you know, I was a low risk, you know, person, right? Low risk pregnancy. And then found out I had twins. And so I switched to a doctor that would support uh, vaginal twin birth. If one of the babies was breached, they would have delivered the baby breach. Oh, it was amazing. like perfect. Drove amazing. an hour and a half away to see that doctor. And then we find out I have a vasoprevia and, and oh. now we're just like, all right, we got to wait and see if it moves and it never moved and ended up being in the hospital for a month. Um, wow. and then one of them is supposedly IUGR 
And it was, it was sort of, you know, it was a great thing. I, I loved being pregnant, but man, the interactions I had with the medical system were not what I was expecting or wanting at all. Wow. Um, that month in the hospital was probably the most stressful of all because, you know, there was, you know, issues kind of deciding what my due date was, right? Some, you know, my previous doctor, they wanted to go with one due date. The um, hospital team wanted to go with a different due date. They wanted to go with the due date that would mean, that would mean I would deliver even earlier than the, the 35, 36 week recommendation. And of course, I pushed back on that, you know, because you know me, right? I was like, no, I want to go with the due date that's going to let us push it back just a little bit longer. I don't want to have the 33, you know, 33 week babies because you guys, you know, want to use this inaccurate due date from, a, you know, an ultrasound that didn't even, um, we didn't even have a heartbeat yet. You know, it's, so. Oh my gosh. Um, every day while I was in that, in that hospital, I had a different team of doctors and residents coming to me, trying to convince me to, you know, have the babies on this day, try to convince me to stay on bed rest. And I was like, there's no evidence to support that every day a different team would have the same conversation with me and I'd have to push back the same way. And it was like mind numbing. And I realized through that experience, I understood why, you know, why so many of my clients as a doula would just kind of give in, you know, you're in this state where you're vulnerable and you're scared for yourself, for your babies. And um, you've got these people that are kind of just wearing on you. Um, And so that was, that was really stressful. That was really hard. How long were you in the hospital for? I was in the hospital for a little over a month. Oh my God, Caitlin. Wow. That is absolutely different, I'm sure, from what you you saw the positive pregnancy test. I'm sure you did not anticipate that happening. No, not at all. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought that I was going to be the most low-risk person ever. <laughs> it was going to go exactly like all of my, you know, all the births that I supported went. And I was equipped. I was like educationally equipped for that, you know, I could give any argument for why I didn't want cervical checks or why, you know, why I wanted to make this decision over that decision. But when it came to a twin pregnancy with a vasa previa, I had never heard of a vasa previa at that point. Even ha- having worked as a nurse, I didn't know what a vasa previa was. It's like one out of every twenty. Tell everybody what it is. You know, it, pregnancies. It's, yeah, it's a pretty unusual thing. Tell everybody just you know, elevator yeah. speech. So it's where it's where a, a fetal blood vessel from the you know placenta goes over the cervical opening. So, you know, if you were to dilate and try to give birth vaginally and baby would bust open, likely bust open that blood vessel um, and baby would bleed out within minutes. Um, And so that's why they had me sitting in the hospital for um, over a month because not for any other reason, but, you know, if my water was just like happened to break or if I was to happen to go into labor and that blood vessel would break, then I would need to be right next to the OR um, to have a chance at saving them. So. Wow. Yeah, it's not what I expected. And I was not equipped for it. So I didn't know what to say. I didn't know how to advocate for myself. So it was kind of a nice experience in that way, because I didn't, I I had no way to advocate for myself. And that's how most of my clients as a doula, most of my patients, that's the position they're in, you know, they don't have the education and information they need to be able to advocate for themselves and feeling that like sense of helplessness um, was very frustrating, very stressful. Yeah. Yeah, I remember those. I developed some very, very close relationships with patients uh, who had, well, I call them clients because they're not sick, but 
clients who had, um, you know, stayed there. In one case, it was twins. It wasn't a visa previa, but both twins were like definitely on the small side. And I think they were Modi twins as well. So, cause I think we were monitoring for twin to twin transfusion syndrome. So anyways, I think I scanned her. I did a BPP on her every single day for like three weeks. And fortunately it was just me, but I got to know her so well that I was actually able to be a great advocate. But generally what happens in teaching hospitals, you're going to have a new team every single day. Whoever's the one rounding that day or whatever on the antepartum service, um, it's usually the MFM du jour or maybe a, a week's worth of one MFM with some random ass resident who's just doing their best to stay, to keep up, let alone sit and just get to know you and be with you. Um, that was one of the things I was actually really criticized for was because I spent too much time with patients. Well, this is, you just described how horrible that was. And this particular client, she she would send me photos of them for like three years. She sent me photos and these little kids grew up to be great. She's like, thank you. Like, you're the one that kept these kiddos around. And um, I, of course, didn't do that, but I provided her with just a little semblance of like routine humanity. And that made yeah. all the difference for her. And I think that that experience, despite everything that we described, I would be, <clears throat> I, I'm, I'm certain that that, is, that colors your sort of view as to how this can be done best as you're and starting I'll say, to embark. I'll add that during that experience, during that month, uh, all of those people that came into my room, all those people that induced this like constant state of stress, you know, and they also saved my baby's life. And Absolutely. I can't, you know, Absolutely. I can't negate that, you know, they were, they took care of us and they, you know, my, my kiddos would probably not be around if it wasn't for them, but um, they did cause a lot of stress and I was, I'd cry, you know, almost every day as a result of it. And then there was this one nurse, this one person out of all of them that actually spent time with me. And she was the only one that was willing to go against the grain a little bit and tell me, you know, when I, when I was unsure of myself, when I was starting to lose, you know, my grit a little bit and what I knew, what I felt in my heart was right. She, she was the only person that was going to be like, you know, you do what you want. You do what you feel is right. Yeah. You know, if you, yeah. if you want to wait one extra week to have these babies because of that, you know, that due date that you had had for the entirety of your pregnancy and you feel comfortable with that, you stick with that. And I know that that's not the kind of thing that she's supposed to say to me, but she went against the grain a little bit and is because she knew me and because she spent time with me um, and had rapport with me. Um, and she made the, the whole difference. I mean, and I think that that's a, that's a really a great example of the kind of person and provider sure. and midwife I want to be. So you had a C-section, you've got twins. How old are your kiddos? They're two now. Two, two years old. And you said they're boys, right? Or girls? I can't remember. They're boys. Two little boys. So if you did, are you planning on having any other children, do you think? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So Probably fast. pretty soon. <laughs> um, that's awesome. Well, you know, you can always reach out if you have any needs. I'm right around the corner, <laughs> it turns out. <laughs> um, so uh, my last question for you is if if you do get pregnant and have another baby, what is your dream birth experience? Like, let's manifest it right now. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I had a C-section and I also had a low vertical incision, which oh, will wow. cherry on top of that whole pregnancy. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I would like to try a V-back. Um, 
And so that would be my, my goal. I mean, my dream birth would be to try for a VBAC to stay home for a little while. You know, that's, that's the part that I'm really struggling with is Mm. will I choose to actually spend any amount of time at home where I know that things will progress better and where I'll feel more comfortable? Um, Or will I go into the hospital right away and be poked and prodded and, you know, but, you know, I'll be there in case something happens. So that's, kind of debating that a little bit but in the end if I have that full birth I will be I will be happy I don't care how it goes honestly <laughs> I'm I don't have super high expectations um the only thing I really want is that vaginal birth you know that's what happens I'll be happy as a clam I remember uh I, I was I was just thinking you know after having a baby whether it's vaginal or by c-section it's there's a period of you're just so depleted and you're breastfeeding and you're trying to figure this out but you had not just a C-section, you also had twin boys. That must have been a tremendously hard period in your life, recovering after a C-section with two little babies that are constantly wanting to be fed. Yeah, it was horrible. And the C-section was rough. I hemorrhaged and they had to open things back up. And so the recovery process, I think, was very, very painful, very difficult. They were in the NICU for 11 days. And the NICU as great as um, the NICU nurses are and, you know, making sure the babies grow and all of that, they don't really always have the priority on being like on supporting breastfeeding or, you know, making sure that you're set up for when you go back home and you have to, you know, somehow keep these tiny little babies alive. And so, you know, for the first like two and a half months of their lives, I was just exclusively pumping. And it's a miracle, I think, that they figured out how to latch onto the nipple because, you know, I wasn't allowed to breastfeed them really most of the time that I was in the NICU and they didn't know how to do it. And somehow I was able to get them to do it. And man, that was, I remember, yeah, like crying every day, like wondering if it was going to work. It took probably six weeks of excessive, like just Mm. trying to force it almost um, before it was really working. Um, but it was, it, for me, that was like one thing that I could give them because, you know, I, they came early because they're twins. They're, you know, not really, you know, they're smaller. They're by nature going to be smaller. They're going to, you know, have to share, you know, nutrients and all of that. And so I just didn't want, I didn't want to, to give up on that last thing that I could give them, you know, breastfeeding, like it's one a little advantage I can yeah. <laughs> tack onto them at the very, yeah. the very last minute there. So, Wow. Well, Caitlin, I hope that you have the dream birth, um, and uh, I hope that people will, you know, reach out to you if they have questions. You do have a, a product line. Is it Lila or Lila? I call it Lila, but Lila. I think most people call it Lila, well, <laughs> which either is fine. <laughs> that's fine. Yeah. Um, why don't you tell people where they can find you on the interwebs, as well as a little bit more about about Lila? Yeah, um, uh, Lila is a line. It's my company where I make a line of accessible, comfy, beautiful alternatives to a hospital gown. I wore them when I was in the hospital for a month with my twins and went viral on TikTok and people loved them. So you can find them at uh, my website, www.wearlila.com, L-I-L-A. Um, and yeah, they're just, they're nice. They, we've got a lot of different versions, versions for people who want um, to be more covered up, versions for people who get hot in labor and don't want, you know, want to show a lot of skin, you know, whatever you want, but just kind of make that birth experience just a little bit more comfortable, a little bit more humanized, um, feel less like a patient and more like a person. They look, they, they are beautiful. I have to say, like, I didn't even realize what, that that was your product when I first, when I first saw, you know, some videos of you wearing it and whatnot. It almost, 
it almost doesn't look like a, like a hospital gown. I mean, it, of course it doesn't because hospital gowns are so are just so starchy and and impersonal, but they actually look like a beautiful dress, almost like a kimono. It's, it's supposed to. Yeah, yeah, the very original design that has it has like a low back so you can get your epidural placed if you want one or you can have tens unit put like tens units put on your back. Um, the reason I did it that way, rather than like a Velcro, you know, whatever that you could open it up and stuff, is because I wanted it to be like a dress you could go out to the grocery store with. Like, yeah, feel yeah. like it's you know nice like that. So yeah, that's awesome. Um, so wearlila.com and how about your your Instagram or uh, TikTok? Yeah, so my TikTok is um, the Modern Midwife. And, um, my Instagram is, I think it's Caitlin Schulmeyer. haven't changed it yet, but right on. Amazing. Yeah. Well, thank you, Caitlin, for spending some time with me and, uh, I'm sure we'll be in touch. Let me know if you ever need anything. I'm here just to, just to, across the, uh, the state border over here in Louisville. <laughs> thank you. And it was great talking to you. Thanks yeah. for inviting me. My pleasure. at TikTok, uh, on TikTok at The Modern Midwife, Instagram, Caitlin underscore Schulmeyer, and lilamama.com or wherelila.com. Use code uh, Dr. Riley for 10% off of one of um, Lila's beautiful maternity gowns. It has an opening in the back, opening in the front for the epidural and the, you know, for breastfeeding, um, respectively. Um, Caitlin is a gem. Thank you, Caitlin, for spending some time with us today. Guys, if something in this episode touched you, keep the lights on here. Help us keep the lights on. Support our sponsors, Full Well, BirthFit, Immune Intel HCC, Organifi, Bioptimizers. Thank you so much to those companies. Go and buy their stuff. They make some of the best products around. I am recommending it to my clients, whether they're preconception, pregnant, postpartum, or even well into menopause. These are the products that I'm turning to. Support them. Another way to support the show is to simply share this episode. If something was like, ooh, that was good, just share it with your friends. It means so much. And lastly, if you haven't left us a five-star review, please go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Just click that five-star. If you want to write a couple nice little words, we love that. And occasionally, we will reach out to people who leave their Instagram handles and whatnot, and we'll send them free shit. So you didn't hear it from me, or maybe you did. I don't know. My name's Nathan Riley. I can be found at BelovedHolistics.com. That's where I, uh, I, people come to me for their private care. I do uh, a lot of fertility support, um, especially, mm, well, I won't say especially. My PRP fertility program is uh, changing the game. It's a big middle finger to the system. I don't make any money from it. I pay a bunch of other practitioners who help me help you over 90 days get as healthy as possible so you can conceive naturally. You get access to a bunch of free courses. Uh, well, you get access as a part of the, the, the course price to a bunch of courses, including my natural fertility course at the Czech Institute, which includes a 150-page manual, which is effectively my first book. Um, you get a bunch of supplements. You get a bunch of books, and you meet with me multiple times and these other practitioners. Go there if you want to sign up for that. I also do a lot of women's health. I do a lot of uh, functional medicine. I do a lot of biogeometry. I'm studying anthroposophic medicine. I'm studying homeopathic medicine, traditional homeopathic medicine, like the real deal, guys. Um, I do. I like to think I can do it all, but uh, I'm still learning. I'm very, very humble about 
where this path is taking me. But I'm happy to see you if you need help, whether it's with a GYN-related issue, if it's a fertility, fertility issue, if you're a dad out there just looking for some support, or if you're a pregnant woman about to go through the sacred transformation that is birth, find me at BelovedHolistics.com. You already heard about the Born Free Method. Go to BornFreeMethod.com. Sign up there for an enrollment call. We'd love to have you in one of our upcoming, um, let's see, when's this out? We'd love to have you uh, join us for our, our, our July 1st cohort that's going to be starting. You have lifetime access. So you don't have to get ready. To, you don't have to start the, the course right away, but you can start your calls right now and start to really feel into the birth work community that we've amassed there. We've got some heavy hitters in the program. Ricky Lake's there. Lindsay Cantu's there. Tosh Kingsbury's there. Um, and Emily Augustus, the, the prime like the 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 be, the greatest best known Danish midwife is there. Kemi Birthjoy Johnson is going to be with us. One of the best known UK midwives. We've got midwives from Serbia, California, Canada, and we've got birthing couples or uh, preconception even couples that have, are joining us from around the world. This program is fucking stellar. We are so proud to be releasing it to you guys. Um, you can go to bornfreemethod.com to find out more about that. You can find me on Instagram at Nathan Riley, OBGYN. And guys, I bid you adieu. Thank you so much for your time and for giving me a couple hours of your time today. Um, I love you, and I will see you next week on the Holistic OBGYN podcast.